Welcome to What's Korean Cinema episode 57 on Whispering Corridors 6, The Humming. After a 11-year hiatus, the Whispering Corridors series is back with its sixth entry. Having a share of uh, troubles getting to Korean screens, we'll tell you all about it. Discussing Whispering Corridors 6, The Humming. And uh, we were uh, lucky enough to... Um, to get a chance uh, to watch it, watch this despite it not being officially available, but uh, we uh, thought we'd jump at the chance. And uh, who are we? Well, I'm gonna be with me is Paul Quinn of Hangul uh, Celluloid, who also jumped at the chance to see the humming. <laughs> Very much did. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing? That's not um, out of the realms of. Um, this is what you do. You have certain pre-access to things in your line of uh, website work and so forth. Uh, at one point, there was a website dedicated to um, to screeners and uh, what have you, and for people like you, for special people like you, for critics, proper critics. And I miss it deeply. I have to say, it's been you know, it's been over the past you know the difficult year and a half, nearly two years. It's been more difficult than. It previously was, but we still manage. Have you uh, done any uh, uh, virtual festivals uh, where you know you have access during uh, those ten days or whatever uh, as the festival runs? So it hasn't uh, come up that type of opportunity focusing on Korean films. They're they're sort of just about to hit. We're talking sort of November when LKFF starts and Liaf here. I think Leaf's doing exclusively in cinemas, though, you know, because they're trying to get everything back up and running. So there hasn't been that much festival stuff, but there have been a few separate, you know, screenings of films that have been only online. And, you know, I've, I've done those and they they work quite well, even though there's something odd. They, they tend to pre-record their Q&As, which just seems a bit... I don't know, it, it's got a lack of spontaneity to it, but there's nothing we can do, you know. We've got to deal with what we've got to deal with while this end, endless, endless rubbish goes on. I mean, it's a better to know, uh, it's better to have those voices than no voices, I suppose. Indeed, definitely, definitely. And, you know, there, there is the other side of it that it's sometimes just as nice to just be able to sit at home and go and watch it online rather than having to leave the house and go and travel with loads of people to... Oh, are you going in November, though? I'm going to do some. Um, it, it, it all depends how new old their their balance is they haven't actually announced their their complete lineup yet so um i know they're doing a, a lkff's doing a, a retrospective on on yu yu jung the, the actress that got the oscar for minari so right. that'll take up a big part and i've seen i've seen absolutely everything she's done got to interviewed her so that i'll sort of give that a miss and that takes quite a big chunk out but it depends what sort of big stuff, small stuff, and interesting stuff they've got, we'll see. But I'll de- certainly be attending an amount. We'll, we'll see just how much when it comes around. Happy to hear, and uh, we'll look forward to um, to seeing uh, whatever coverage you, you decide to do, whether it's a report from the festival or simply reviews, but that's certainly not uh, diminishing your efforts. Uh, uh, reviewing the stuff you've seen so uh, uh, very cool well we'll we'll get on with it uh, some contact info and uh, of course uh, for many more years to come maybe at this point uh, like four or five years uh, uh, in the future you'll be able to get the blu-ray of uh, woman chasing the butterfly of death from on the macabro and i mentioned that because uh, me and paul did the audio commentary for the release back in uh, 
Well, it was at least in 2020, I think, um, or 2019. I forget now. Time moves fast, but uh, we we certainly uh, enjoyed uh, ourselves. And uh, yeah, I, th- I seem to remember we did it in 2019, and it was released, I think, some point in 2020. Um, but like you say, you know, I've lost all track of time with having been at home for so many years. So. I could be wrong about that. And uh, I've lost uh, I've lost track of uh, just how many commentaries I've done because I'm so commentary famous by now. I'm doing commentaries left and right, and I'm being I'm being sarcastic because I I sort of do. <laughs> you're not telling any untruths. You you are you know you're becoming the the commentary king. Let's oh, be no, honest about it. that. Keep every t- no, I'm serious. You've done a load this year, you know, and they're they're big, interesting films, you know. Officially done for to our. Um announced and uh, at the time of recording there might they might not be out there i mean uh, we, we, we'll get back to a woman chasing the butterfly of death uh, properly for a final little plug but what i'm uh, what we're referring to i've uh, done together with phil gillen uh, three commentaries for 88 films for hong kong movies um the two are announced the first is uh, armor of god the jackie chan movie we're one of uh, i think there's going to be three commentary tracks on it uh, frank jang uh, mike leader and arne venema and uh us making our uh, debut and we've also done the commentary for uh, an unknown but excellent little uh, kung fu movie from Shaw Brothers called Monkey Kung Fu uh, not to be confused with Mad Monkey Kung Fu which is the big known Shaw Brothers Monkey Kung Fu film this Monkey Kung Fu film from the same year stars uh, in a rare leading role Ching um, uh, Dong. Ching uh, Dong, if you don't know the name is mostly known as a director he's the director of Duel to the Death and the Chinese Ghost Story and uh, Swordsman too, and a uh, very accomplished uh, action director and director. And uh, th- this was his um, sort of early stab at, uh, at a lead role. He's excellent in it. But uh, as uh, we, we've heard certain stories researching that commentary that he really didn't like acting. Um, his father was a famous director at Shaw Brothers, and I have a feeling he was drawn to making rather than being and stuff. And that's why his trajectory uh, was the way it was. Uh, but uh, what a traje- trajectory getting Duel to the Death and a Chinese ghost story and getting into business with Choi Hark and making um, a lot of fantasy tinted uh, and high flying Hong Kong cinema. So uh, w- uh, so we enjoyed uh, doing that uh, commentary, Monkey Kung Fu. It seemed uh, random, but it still requires um, a heck of a lot of work to get a nice program in the can. And we, we certainly were um, happy with our uh, efforts. So um uh, and then there's a third we can't discuss, and a fourth I definitely can't discuss for another company that um, it, we recorded it way earlier this year, uh, me and Paul Fox. But um, the company that's going to do it, they're new, and uh, it, it, there's no time frame currently available to me when they're going to release the title in question. So four so far this year, the 2021 has been the year of the commentaries. Nice. It's been fun, um, and when you get into a groove, you realize you can do it. It still requires uh, a lot of work, but uh, it's it, it's really a screen-specific podcast. Uh, we, we could have transformed this into a commentary based on the material I've researched, because uh, that's how I structure my commentaries as well, with questions back and forth and topics, and we, we, can have what, we, we could have taken what we have in front of us and then added more screen-specific notes and analysis and um, maybe some info from the earlier podcasts and could have transformed that into a commentary. So the step from podcast to commentary is not terribly great, but it's still difficult, and it should be. So uh, that's uh, uh, that's how I like to do it. Uh, some people um, do it differently and uh, are more hardcore in terms of really getting it right, not that we 
try to get everything wrong, but uh, I've heard uh, Frank Jiang is such a good working bee that he re-records certain bits that he wasn't satisfied with during the commentary and things like that to really get it right. And uh, Frank knows his stuff, so uh, um, so that's something to have in mind. Um, that uh, that's possible too to to get it right is, is important uh, to the best of your abilities because. Uh, Sometimes uh, online info might not be fully correct anyway. Going back to uh, Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death, it's available from Mondo Macabro, mondo-macabro.com, I believe, but we'll uh, link to it specifically, and uh, you can get it for many years to come uh, on their label, and it's very fairly priced, and it's also a region all release. So if you buy it, uh, if you're in the UK, even if it's a US release, you can get it. So uh, it's all good. Uh, as for the rest of the contact information, really quick, uh, for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, including the back catalogue of What's Korean Cinema and the back catalogue of uh, the Whispering Corridors or Girls' School Horror Series, it's all available on podcastonfire.com, along with bonus episodes connected to What's Korean Cinema or the other shows on the network. Uh, follow the social media links uh, connected to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, stream us on Stitcher and Spotify and all that good stuff. And uh, a link to... Uh, the rest of the Whispering Corridors uh, series, and if you don't know them by name, they are Whispering Corridors, Memento Mori, Wishing Stairs, Voice, and A Blood Pledge. And now we have the sixth one, The Humming. Uh, so look us up on um, on the site and uh, on Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff. You you haven't a full like uh, Whispering Corridors retrospective on HangoCelluloid.com, but you certainly plan to uh, get a review of this up, uh, despite it being the sixth one so um so yeah uh, tell us about that if you like or plug your website properly yeah well you know in case any of you don't know me i'm paul i run hanglecelluloid.com for korean film reviews interviews transcriptions of talks i give etc etc um yeah i'm gonna the humming is gonna be my next review just because it's topical and there's been so little topical to talk about for quite a while as I always do in my reviews, I always give a back context. So even though I haven't reviewed all of them at all, I'll be able to give a sort of a backstory and link and, and show, hopefully, as we will tonight, look at the, the differences and the similarities as we go through it and, and how the, the series has changed. So, yeah, it's next on the, the go. Should be, I was planning to put it up about a week ago and I actually held off just because of the timing of screeners and stuff so um, should be online middle of this week I would think and you can check it out of course if you'd prefer to wait till you hear the podcast um, it'll be there for you know my extra tuppence worth after you've listened to the podcast once this is released if you like it'll be there forever so whatever whatever floats your boat guys excellent and I'll uh, certainly link to it uh, uh, when it's up uh, so um a little rundown of uh, what's to come here in this episode, and we're closing out the Whispering Corridors coverage uh, for now. I mean, uh, when a seventh uh, comes around, because uh, uh, or if a seventh comes around, uh, we will certainly resurrect the coverage. But uh, for now, we're closing out the Whispering Corridors uh, coverage with a small episode, but uh, there's some sections coming up, and those will have st- uh, timestamps in the show post. And first of all, we'll talk a little of the delayed release of The Humming. 
how it did uh, when released and uh, true to form uh, this uh, series entry is the directing debut of someone so we'll touch upon that person as well and uh, after we're done with that we'll review and discuss the film uh, so uh, a little extract from the plot that's available online of uh, whispering corridor 6 the humming from 2020 but released in 2021 so it's from imdb so it goes as follows uh, strange things are happening in the closed toilets of eon uh, he's old high school and she is played by Kim Seo Hyung. Uh, she now works at that old high school as the vice principal uh, but she has lost uh, her memories of her high school student days. Meanwhile a student Ha Young played by Kim Hyun So is a victim of school bullying is sort of driven into being a troublemaker at school or perceived as one. Uh, one day Ha Young goes to a closed bathroom at the school and she hears a ghost's whisper that's echoing in the toilet um, and Ha Young believes the mystery is linked to Eon He. Meanwhile, we get to know that uh, Eon He suffers from visual and auditory hallucinations, and she is also convinced that she was called there by a dead old friend. So, there you go. We're in the school again. Um, if that's uh, if it's redundant by the sixth part, we'll, we'll certainly let you know in a bit. But uh, first of all, if you've been with us over the course of the series, um, you've heard us discuss the release fate of the humming that has been uh, brought up but we should uh, let listeners know who weren't uh, there before with a series of questions for Paul Quinn so correct me if I'm wrong this was completed in 2020 and shown at at least a local festival but didn't make a commercial appearance until 2021 summer of 2021 so even though the answer might be obvious to people who are living in this world why was it released uh, as, um, or rather, why was it delayed and not released uh, when it was completed? Well, essentially, yeah, yeah, it was it was completed in 2020, and it had a big hooray. You know, it, these these are, are well thought of films in general, just for the whole idea behind them, um, and they're really famous. So it was going to, or it did, open the 24th Bifan International Fan- Fantastic Film Fest, which is a smaller festival than than Busan, but it's it's very well thought of, and it it goes for the quirky, the horrific, as much as the big blockbusters. So it opened there. Um, at that point, if you remember back to then, uh, losing track of time as always, the pandemic had just sort of, you know, hit big time. But Korea was doing really well compared with other countries, and they were able to keep things going almost as if nothing had happened for a while once it was released usually it would be you know a few months before it would start to appear in regular cinemas and then out on you know whatever platforms or or media but at that point that's when the pandemic sort of started to really affect korea much more closely to the way it was affecting everybody else and everything really ground to a halt um and it was it was only obviously you know, June 2021, June this year, when it was finally brought up for a release in cinemas as Korea started to, you know, get back to its normality because they've, they've done really well with the pandemic and they did all the right things and they, they closed a lot of stuff for a long time, reopened, closed, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it's a pretty obvious answer, but that's why it was made in 2021 and it's running probably about six to eight months behind what it would have been if we hadn't had a pandemic and i mean uh, re- released during a pandemic when it was deemed safe and when it was also projected because people need to analyze this that korean movie goers would go to the cinema and that ended up being specifically the summer of uh, 2021 so under the circumstances how, how did the harming uh, do and uh, in in a second part well, what was its 
competition and uh, how much did competition make in comparison? Um, it didn't do that well. Um, overall, if you look at the Korean box office, and uh, back in the day, um, if you looked at Korean box office, you'd get you know just Korean movies or Korean and international. These days, everything's so international. Most of the box office stuff you see is going to be all films. So you're talking you know Korean and American, Japan, everything, whatever. In terms of that, um, it was 49th in the yearly box office so far obviously the year hasn't finished yet so it may drop down to below the top 50 but it was 49th it made 93,000 or nearly 94,000 admissions of people on 603 screens which is you know considering we were we're still you know in a pandemic essentially is is a quite a lot of screens you would think until you look at the competition because the pandemic has made things so difficult. The domestic films that that have been offered haven't been as many as they would have been, but equally they've done phenomenally well. The humming made in terms of if you convert it to US dollars, um, just over seven hundred thousand pounds, which you think you know in a pandemic's not that bad until you look at some of the others. Minari. Um, We've already spoken about numerous times, starring Yoon Yoo Jung. She won the Oscar for Best Actress. Um, it had $8.5 million it made. It screened at 1,200 screens, and it had a million admissions. If you go up further, uh, a very well critically acclaimed film called Sinkhole made 18 million quid and had... 17 and a half million admissions and 1600 screens and the biggest film of the year so far from Korea um, a film called Escape from Mogadishu made 28 million dollars screened at 1700 screens and had 3 million admissions so if you compare it you know 28 million dollars compared with you know 900,000 or 90,000 even excuse me it, it really the humming didn't do anywhere near what the the excitement of it should have led to yeah those sounds like big movies uh too i, I didn't know minori would break through as big as it did in uh, korea so that's cool but uh welcome to mogadosha uh, mogadosha is that the real song one film as well uh yes it is. yeah so, so uh that's a built-in um sort of audience uh, attractor as well as being probably a you know uh, an action film of sorts uh, there uh, in, in the marketing and people are drawn to that may, maybe not horror so I mean uh, if you look at the global release uh, state of films now where it's very common in the west that um, new big releases that have been on hold or are coming out anyway get a um, cinema and premium streaming uh, release so we're talking marvel uh, content or not so do, do, do you know if korea has opted for any such model of premium streaming for new releases or there's no such thing as hbo max and disney plus model for local films it has just really kicked off according to the korean film council um who keep an eye on all these things obviously um korean video streaming revenue for, for 2019 stood at the equivalent of 58 million dollars if you compare that to 2018 the revenue was four million dollars so 
it's jumped exponentially in the past couple of years. Helped greatly, it has to be said, by the pandemic. In 2021, figures aren't fully out yet, but it's expected to exceed over 100 million um, for the year. So it's, it's a big market in terms of what they've got. They don't have Disney. They don't have Apple TV. But those companies, in the wake of how successful Netflix has been in Korea, um, they're actually actively negotiating to to bring their content to Korea as well. Netflix is is the biggest of all Korean streaming sites because it's so huge internationally. There is a, a newer, newer couple of companies, one called Wave, which is W-A-V-V-E, and it's run by television broadcasters, KBS, SBS, and NBC, and they release both, again, both films and TV on a, you know, a, a subscription service. And CJENM, which is a, a you know, a, a sector of CG Entertainment, the biggest Korean film company there is, have released a, a, a streaming service called TVing, uh, which again gives Korean movies, Korean television to subscribers. So they're all building. But this, as I say, in 2018, it's only four million. 2017, it was negligible. So this is this is a new thing for Korea to embrace. For a long time, it was always about selling stuff physically internationally and cobiz is still doing that it's it's actually launched a new platform to make the purchase of its films korean films better for international distributors to make it easier so they're still looking at that but you can't ignore what streaming services do and have done during these difficult times and korea you know has jumped at it and brought it really really up to almost a level equal with international, which it wasn't before. It was always the other way around. And uh, there's always going to be voices um, in the filmmaking community once such a model is established that um, don't want anything to do with uh, straight to streaming or a uh, parallel release in cinema and uh, streaming. And because you've had people in the West like Christopher Nolan and... Uh, uh, director of Dune and Arrival, I, I, I can't pronounce his name, Denis V, something, um, uh, the director of Sicario as well. He has said that he they, they kind of loathe the idea of uh, and yeah. anything going to streaming uh, before cinema. And I suppose there's a point, but I think there's still deep down in Korean audiences and Western audiences a draw to the cinema experience when you can have the cinema experience again. Uh, it may be more comfortable at home, but it's really not the same gathering your mates at home, going to the latest, biggest Ryusung One film or the latest, greatest Christopher Nolan films. I think once it's deemed safe, uh, I, I don't think cinema is uh, a thing of the past. And uh, hopefully the big Korean filmmakers who want their movies presented in a big fashion, again, speaking of Ryusung One, who makes big films... And uh, any other director, even if it's a small film, they want it to be projected on a big screen. I think, um, you know, ho hopefully there's going to be um, options for Korean audiences to um, to take in a subscription service, but also have a night out, as um, as they uh, often did back in the day. So, uh, the, so there's going to be more going audiences, I think, yeah, uh, once we get past this uh, 
Um, so once again, this series, Whispering Corridors, presents a new director before us, a female one as well. Uh, but Lee Mi Young is not a new presence on the series, as uh, she co-produced uh, 2005's Voice, the fourth entry, alongside the series' uh, paternal producing uh, presence, uh, Lee Chun Yon. Uh, Lee produced Whispering Corridors, Memento Mori, Witch Instead's Voice of Blood Pledge, but had seemingly not been active as a producer on anything uh, since uh, 2013. And as Paul informed us last episode, uh, Lee Chun uh, Yon sadly passed away uh, somewhat recently even. Yeah. Um, so would it be fair to assume, or do, do you know there's any official quotes on this, that uh, director Lee Mi Young is honoring Lee by taking charge of part six, that, uh, part six for at least one film, or she had filmmaking aspirations anyway, and this, this was as good an opportunity as any? Pretty much all of the above. You know, certainly in the wake of his death, you know, she she has says that said that she feels the honor of having having done it, but it was actually her doing that brought her to this rather than him wanting her in. You know, because she'd done the voice. What you got to remember about Yiming Young is that she's first time director, but she's huge as a producer. She originally started working for Cineat 2000, which is the, the company that has, you know, it's been going since the new Korean cinema wave, and it actually s- still released, it, it released the humming. But she produced classic films like Art Museum by the Zoo with the gorgeous Shim Yuna. She created the story for Addicted with E. B. Young Hung in 2002. And more recently, over the years, she has produced and executive produced really notable, notable films, including um, a film from, I think, three or four years ago called The Truth Beneath, which was the debut director, you know, directorial debut of uh, a woman called E. Kyung Mi. Um, and it starts on Ye Jin, and it was really critically acclaimed. Lee Mi Young has said that producing the truth beneath and seeing how well it was received in general and how great thriller horror i mean it's a it's a cross between a thriller and a horror it's about a woman who finds out she's been betrayed by her husband and decides to do something about it um that actually led her to want to approach e chung young and say i want you know i co-produced the voice i want to direct um and i want it to be my story so it was her decision to approach him and get his okay to do the film and you know sadly he you know he he passed away before he saw it released in cinemas but at least he was still here when when it got its initial release when it when it was finished and um also if you don't mind telling us uh, how does our lead actress uh, kim seo hyung connect to the series and um in the second half of that answer is the rest of the casting also done in the tradition of entries one through five by featuring newcomers to film she isn't but uh, if you look at the surrounding cast again all of the above uh kim seo seo hyung who plays uni who plays the main character in this the middle-aged vice principal character uh she was she played in 2005 the the role of a teacher, a, a, you know, a pivotal role of a teacher in The Voice, which was number four in the Whisper and Corridor series. But she's she's huge in terms of 
film as well as TV. She's a really well-known name. Um, she was in The Villainess in 2017. She was in Ryerson One's Berlin File in 2013. She was in City of Violence for him again in 2006. And she's done a lot of little films as well, you know, to help new directors like a film called Enemy at the Dead End, which was released certainly in the UK under the name Desire to Kill and is famously become known as old boy in a hospital room. Um, so she's done oceans of stuff. She's really big, as I say, a household name. So that's that's sort of classic with the idea of the, the older character for these, these Whispering Corridors things. In terms of the other younger actresses, it's both well-known and not well-known. If we look at the character, the main little female schoolgirl, character of Ha Young, played by Kim Hyo-soo. She's been doing TV since 2011. She's been in films since 2011. Um, she was in Be With You with Son Ye-jin in 2018, Silenced in 2011, Swordsman in 2020, um, and she's done oceans of television. If you compare that to most of the other actresses, whether it be Che Ri, who plays So Young, a uh, little girl with a, a bob haircut in this film. She started her film career with Spirit's Homecoming in 2016, and she's done, you know, a, a few films since. We move on to the character of, of Jae Young, played by Park Se Hyun. She's been acting only since 2019. She's been in a film called Kim Ji Young, born 1982, which is a, a, a very, very important feminist film, but she's done very little else. And if you look at the character of Misuk, Seo Hye Won, this is her first film ever, and she's only been in TV since 2019. So out of all, we've got a couple of the young characters that have done a lot of work and others that have done virtually nothing. And I think that's a nice balance. It, it's, it's neat that that's still the concept of the series because it's a risky venture to stick to, well, both new directors, because you never know. Uh, you pluck these from school or short movies um, uh, in some cases. Uh, in this case, not, obviously. Uh, this was directed by a woman who has a, a mighty filmmaking um, uh, film industry experience. But you never know when you cast new. And in the case of most movies, really, except the blood plague, it has really worked out uh, nicely. The casting hasn't been bothersome. But, oh my god, these people feel new. And uh, why didn't they pick uh, more experienced? Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, it really has uh, worked out. And uh, I don't know. It's, it, it's a neat little concept to have that um, we, uh, we're going to add that challenge by, by, you know, by telling a good story. But by telling it with uh, a mixture of uh, mostly new and some veteran presence to sort of uh, anchor these uh, matters, uh, whether in supporting roles or lead roles. In this case, uh, we have a, a veteran presence in the lead role rather than just as part of the um, uh, supporting gallery. Indeed. And if you look at even the, the character, there are, as we'll talk, there are flashbacks to years before when the character Yuni and her friend um, Jae Young were younger, even younger than, you know, the, the school girls that are the main characters. And if you look at the character of young Yuni, she's played by a girl called Bibi, who's actually a, a, a K-pop solo performer. And this, again, you know, her, her first film, that's a brave move as well, because there's so many times a K-pop performer will go and try to do movies and it doesn't work. 
yeah, they, they, they took they took a fair bit of risk and you know a fair play. It's it's nice to give these people these young people a chance to to expand themselves really. And uh, we're at the review stage, and let me do my short opinion now. First of all, um, I, I was kind of surprised just how... I mean, there, there's not a ton of critical reviews out there. There's some critics' reviews and some user reviews on IMDb, for instance. But I was kind of surprised just how hard this was slammed critically, the Hummy. Like, like a blood pledge hard, which was by far my least favorite entry. Uh, uh, it was not even close to any of the others. It was... Uh, you and me both. What One that you could skip, I think, was my quote and a blood pledge... Uh, uh, it, it fell into that category, but but the reviews of the humming called it cheap and lazy, and maybe I'm just a forgiving viewer. But I thought this was this was great. It's the expected whispering corridors, but um, a director isn't going down these corridors again to rehash everything just because it's been 11 years. Uh, instead, it I think it develops a into a well thought out and planned horror entry, if talking scarce, that leads into hints of great sadness and uh, uh, a sort of depiction of. Uh, broken sanity insanity that connects to friendship and even to south korea's turbulent history uh, but i don't think it's trying to cram too much in it looks like it but it um even if it arguably actually does i found clarity to be strong uh, all throughout while it was a, a good challenge to untangle the puzzle that uh, was being developed all throughout the film even up till the final frames i think it's one of the few entries in the series that deserves a second viewing because when you know you, you'd want to be the first to pick up the breadcrumbs that Lee Mi Young leaves for us. Um, uh, there's a couple of neat little, wait a minute, that character thing. You know, uh, you know uh, more of what that character has to do with the whole. And I think it was an utterly fine and accomplished debut work. And the Whispering Corridors series is alive and well for now anyway. That, that, that's what I thought of. I was uh, quite taken with it. So uh, that's my short opinion for now. Uh, what did you think in short of uh, The Humming? I avoided all reviews of the humming until after I'd, I'd seen it. Obviously I like to watch stuff blind. And when I watched it for the first time and you know, I had thoughts that I'm, I'll share with you in a second, but certainly leaps and bounds above a blood pledge from the first 10 minutes for me. I hated a blood pledge as you all know, when I actually read the reviews and saw how utterly scathing they tend to be more than, more I mean, than you, forgiving. I, I mean, user reviews are there to sort of like, I'm going to write something cool, like one out of 10. Like I, I read a re- user review that says, this is the typical Bollywood Korean crap. Okay. Uh, and that was it. <laughs> that was its one sentence. Like, uh, skip that review. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, to- I totally agree with you. And I, I kind of avoid user reviews anyway. But even in terms of, of critics, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, quite a well-known critic for a big site slaughtered this. And I think that's really unfair. You know, I, I do think Emma Young overstretched herself in parts. She she was attempting something quite different and quite big, not to give anything away, but we've really got two main stories going on here. And on first watch anyway, the fact that everything appeared to be the one story and turned out not to be, I thought could have had a little bit more clarity. But as you say, on the the rewatch side of things, once I I was able to click into doing that, it's quite polished the way she actually puts it together and gives those breadcrumbs. So I think this is an ambitious project and I think she should be highly commended for taking the themes that have 
been present in the previous films but haven't been the focus looking at them rather than just doing the we're girls in high school therefore we're going to bring in the whole same-sex relationship lesbianism thing which for its time was really important because that sort of sexuality in korean cinema was taboo for decades um it's less so now so it's nice that she actually moves on to another level i will say that i do think a couple of the characters are too caricaturish there they're not fleshed out but certainly in terms of the of violent segments i had to remind myself that i was watching a film made by a female director it felt it felt quite male oriented to me anyway in those sections um and i think that worked well with the other side of things with the poignancy with the melodrama i'm i'm, I'm quite with you that that it is a packed film and i think it's um I got a lot of clarity out of it. My second viewing uh, is to sort of pick up some of the clues of uh, some of the corridor, uh, some of the characters that are wandering the corridors that um, uh, you are during the first viewing you don't pick up on their importance right away, but uh, when you watch it a second time, you can pick up on their importance uh, straight away, even which is a uh, cool. Uh, uh, but uh, I was surprised surprised how clarity clicked with me. So, so well considering that this is packed it's not long but it is packed and uh, so, so i was quite impressed by that so if we go into some specifics um you know we're back in whispering corridors uh, territory is it instantly recognizable and is that a bad or good thing i mean the corridors are but um we have the biggest gap between entries so it's not redundant as such but uh, as the movie goes on you think less of oh it's another whispering corridors and more about uh, the story that i i engaged in and uh, certain early things feels very final destination like like the window beheading that um, we see at the beginning uh, at least a very yeah. grave injury it's a bit pulled back we don't get a final destination full-on cg core uh, thing but uh, it's uh, it's reserved and um uh, the feeling of uh, and the theme of reserved I'm gonna get back to but uh, there's also an aspect a technical aspect that I probably will get back to a, a few times this movie isn't that f- full on especially compared to a blood pledge on the scary blog it holds back it does sort of some of the same things but holds back technically and doesn't uh, attempt to go 5.1 blog scare and that's a very good thing. Um, so we'll get uh, back to that. Some updates to the way that the students uh, interact versus uh, even a blood pleasure and a voice. The voice. Uh, the chatter in the classroom isn't everyone at their benches running around and listening to their iPods anymore. Everyone's uh, in uh, ongoing chats on their phones. So it's, uh, yes, we're updated. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so everyone's on iChat or whatever they do uh, use in Korea or whatever. Maybe not. I don't know if iChat is a thing, but uh, regardless, uh, it, it's a little update in terms of uh, well, they they have chats and they have their 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 uh, megapixel video cameras um, out and um, can capture drama that way too. It's certainly a, a hop and a half from even voice and a blood pledge that uh, that centered around iPods and certainly going back to 1998, this was not a thing. People had to interact and uh, witness stories and then tell their friends they couldn't videotape these things (laughs) did you at all spot that this was sort of a you remember blood pledge was really going for it audio wise and visually wise and they're just trying Mm -hmm. to scare us when there wasn't a scare scare present really um i i thought this was really held back 
she is wise with her scares, but she isn't trying to blow Arias out. And even with a single aspect like that for the various scares, uh, the various boos, if you're reserved to uh, a degree, when you've held back ever so slightly, you've done a good thing because in my mind, normally even the tease scares when some something fails that isn't uh, false, that isn't um, anything supernatural. Sometimes there's a blog, but she is uh, she's reserved in many areas, including this one. So I was wondering if you no- noticed that, picked up on that, that she um, has a different tech going on. Yeah, and I think that I think that's very very deliberate on her part. You know, again, some of the reviews that you will see will say it's just not scary. I can't completely disagree with that, but I honestly don't think it's meant to be. This is this is yeah, it's it's a film with horror elements, but the story itself is deserving of more than just that boo look big face. It, it really felt to me that some critics were like, uh, did they watch a blood pledge instead? Because I, I didn't think anything, even like the the eye in the toilet stall at the beginning of the film, where, where we, which we don't know the context of. I mean, it it, look, it looked like they, they sort of stopped watching after 40 minutes and just determined that this is uh, the same old, same old, and it really isn't. It really isn't, you know, and I, I, I'd, I'd almost advise people to stay away from as many reviews as you can send the guy who's just about to, to you know, finish a podcast on it and do a review of it. Uh, but, you know, having watched it twice and been more impressed with it second time because of, you know, the quality of the way she sets things out, you know, I feel now obligated to, to talk about it and redress the balance a little bit. You know, at the very start with that window thing, and we do see a character hanging. We don't know who she is, et cetera, et cetera. To me, that was her deliberately, almost tongue-in-cheek, certainly with the window, saying, yeah, we're in Whispering Corridor's territory. How predictable is this? And I almost I almost smiled, and I think a lot of people didn't see it like that. And that's a shame. You know, once it gets into its main thing, there's an entirely different deal going on here that doesn't doesn't require jump scares and i think you need to invest in what's thematically important as much as you as people did with memento mori and whispering corridors itself which were dramas with horror horrific elements from my point of view rather than straight out horror movies i think emi young's sort of trying to make that idea more contemporary rather than doing the the blood pledge thing which you know, just was too over the top and too, you know, Western remake territory, really. Um, if you look at the how badly it's handled, um, you can tell I don't like a blood pledge. No, no, I mean, it wasn't uh, engaging. It was too, ju- just too much and uh, too much of an audiovisual assault on you. And here, yeah, yeah she is cranking visions. The, the dimension I am a toilet stall, which is a recurring image that comes back towards the end of the film. I thought like, oh, yeah, well done. That uh, that was nice because you thought she was just uh, being cheap with uh, the scary eye in the toilet stall. But uh, no, it had a different purpose. There, there's a meaning, you know. Um, every time we do a podcast, obviously some of the actors and actresses, you know, some are new, so you don't know them. And I always make a list of actors and the characters they play just so I can keep, you know, everything relevant, if you like. 
when you look at the pages I had to write for the main characters, I got three full pages of a notebook <laughs> on the characters of the humming. I had about the same amount for a blood pledge because there there are a lot of characters that play a part in it. But looking back at, back at a blood pledge, high halfway through you'd forgotten which character was doing what. There was no clarity. You it was just a mishmash of conversation, dialogue, argument. With this, with the humming, I was fully aware of what each and every character was doing where they'd come from and where they were going throughout so she holds her clarity well especially considering how new these people are and how how many of them there are i mean mean, there's a challenge to that the the, the reason she's cranking visions quite early is that they're not new to the character of yun he she's presumably she's been here and she can find these areas, uh, these uh, sort of um, ominous areas of uh, the lockers and uh, the toilet stalls. And uh, she, there, there, there's a reason, and we, we won't spoil this movie fu- fully, but uh, there's a reason that she's drawn to these uh, immediately. And there's uh, things going on in uh, in uh, her mind that uh, she seems to be reliving past haunting and uh, and terror and uh, she she gets back to that place of being uh, you know exhausted and panting and she's scared and uh, this happens quite early but it's an it's a sort of incoherent tease that's well worth following through on because we get the puzzle pieces laid down and and i felt that confidence uh, early in the film to be honest it wasn't like uh, give me the solutions right away otherwise i will abandon this shit no not at all and speaking of the scares that are earned, uh, again, by not cranking the audio, like a book falling out of a bookshelf uh, that, uh, you know, in a Blood Pledge or any other cheap horror movie, that would have been a big old surround sound blark. But uh, she, uh, she she's good. She's skilled at working those uh, uh, tropes. And uh, yeah, so you, you can have those moments when you're good at it. Uh, I, I suppose... Uh, the one because I connected this movie on an emotional level. I think uh, one of the over the top elements that it is functional for the story, but is perhaps uh, you know uh, seems a bit um, uber evil in this movie is the character of Mr. Park. I suppose uh, it seems like the, uh, the 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 very I don't know commercial serial killer movie to spoil a little bit, but uh, it's it's affecting enough, but not the grandest element of uh, of the story. This uh, story of the cool teacher that seems to allow makeup tutorials up to a point, but um, he's he's not yelling at his uh, young students, but he feels like a fascist authoritarian and perhaps has a different kind of strict, and that leads into a subplot involving him uh, not uh, being who uh, who he is uh, there on the surface. He's not the kind teacher, and you, you could sort of read that a mile away because while the casting is good, he plays up uh, and she directs him to play up that uh, he seems devious. And uh, he uh, has evil within him, but he's not the story focus of uh, this. Uh, so if I disliked any element that I thought was a bit tropey, it was uh, it was that it wasn't that particularly scary. The ominous parts that connected to uh, to uh, him, um, even though he's the second viewing might be better if you combine him and some other characters that seems seem incidental but certainly aren't incidental i mean uh, between you and i like the older security guard at school that's the character i want to 
focus on during the second viewing a little bit yeah, more yeah, for yeah. instance but that's all we'll say about that she uses silence well mostly static film language and while that might not be an ancient style in uh, uh, south korean cinema 2021 or 2020 it, it's nice that it carries over from the late 90s early 2000 entries this doesn't need to be uh, uh, frantic as such and uh, you know and that that does keep it feeling familiar as part of the series really because a lot of those films again discounting a blood pledge but a lot of those films were very quiet for a, a great portion of the time so i think that holds well and i think that was a, a deliberate choice of hers also the story strand of the um, the authoritarians in the school as well that uh, they make decisions and interpretations of the sexual assault subplot and that allegations and, then, and that allegation and then go straight to it's bad parenting we can't let this gossip go out and uh, that principle not the vice principle but the principle is that callously eating while uh, handing out these uh, these instructions in intent i think that's uh, a nice examination of uh, how these schools uh, deal with these things and favor uh, reputation versus uh, helping out but uh, if anything i think that's an over-the-top element that um, character played by uh, i don't know the actor's name uh, but that, that character that's a principal character is so obviously callous and is not going to give uh, a sexual assault allegation at the time of day her time of day um that was something that was a bit too um over the top for me to work as a commentary it certainly doesn't it, it's a little plot that's there but it leads to horror elements but uh, mr park and her are not the two elements i uh, took away the most strong from the first viewing so you know and again and again we're on the, the same page i mean the the violence scene that i said felt like it was almost male directed is is the the violent scene in, involving teacher mr park that was the weaker side of that storyline i appreciate that storyline and i i also appreciated the idea of the the main principal being a woman almost condoning things she shouldn't condone considering the earlier whisper and corridors things were all you know laced with misogynism from male characters male characters and to have that sort of matriarchal figure almost working as a, a, you know an enabler if you like worked for me i i didn't like either character themselves i think the female principal character is is way too cartoonish uh, pushed far far too hard and you know mr park is is a cardboard character himself but i i appreciate the themes behind it so i can almost live with it and just try to appreciate the other things the other characters that this thing has got going for them because there's far more depth to them i mean the the curiosity towards the story take over when you uh when you watch the narrative uh, evolve with uh he and it's stylistic at the same time as she loses herself in the haunting visions and perhaps she is daydreaming it's a it's a suggested at one point but she is sort of transferred to these sites and uh, sites uh, you know these uh, locations and these sites and uh, she works the flashbacks very well uh, i mean we 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 see some flashes of uh, the two flower pots with uh, the names of her and her friend and they are very brief they allow us to focus on them for a few seconds and then we're back to current reality uh that that intrigued me and it certainly paid off uh, for me 
Uh, she uses that uh, looking down shot through um, the stairway very well and gets to use that in a in a violent sequence towards the end. So there's some cool visuals and even um, a daylight scene when uh, Yon He buys uh, ice cream and she gives uh, the old lady one. And our director plays up the unease very well of that particular beat when she gives her the ice cream. Like, what is that? Because she, she's not insecure about let's make this a moment. But there is an unease. Why is there an unease of the ice cream being handed to, between different characters? And then we hit the scene where the car hits the young schoolgirl. And, uh, and and these little threads are weaving a mystery with focus on this adult character. Which means it doesn't it isn't reusing the beats of the Whispering Corridors um, series as such. Uh, they, they merge the, the adult and the young very well. And... Uh, Probably the best scare, I mean, it sounds like I'm spoiling the entire movie, but uh, it's far from the film. Probably the best scare, uh, when the uh, corpse of a girl, a quite horrid-looking corpse, like a magnificent corpse of a girl, appears in a parking garage when servicemen passes uh, Yon-hee. And that is not accompanied by a blog. She's just there. Yeah. And that was excellent. Now, now the visions are like a reoccurring for Yon He, so there's no need to punch. It's still scary that she's just um, there. And uh, I thought the parking garage scene in that regard, because now we're sort of invested in the story despite not knowing the entire extent of it. And that was uh, that was excellent, really, really well done. Uh, that image, that that that's like a proper haunting image that that was stuck with you. It, it doesn't require like a green lit nighttime setting for it to be for it to be haunting. And uh, that's uh, that's uh, really effective. And uh, that's someone who has uh, good instincts or has absorbed uh, watching uh, directors uh, do their thing on a variety of movies, uh, which is why it comes off as a very polished debut work. Um, someone who can transfer that uh, that and also develop uh, his or her own uh, instincts in in terms of. Uh, in terms of scaring, uh, scaring us, and uh, re- really, if you watch a trailer for this movie, none of this, this mixture of emotions and good scares, is going to be evident because the trailer needs to be punchy, it needs to be blarg. Um, so don't even watch the trailer, I suppose, <laughs> if you really want to watch this. So. Well, it, well, indeed, you know, and I, I I'd almost say that about most trailers these days because you know they either give you the wrong impression or they give way, way too much of the game away. You know, what can I say? Even the trailer for Parasite destroys the film completely because it tells you far too much when you should be looking at it blank. So, you know, stay away from trailers, kids. Um, I suppose we, we won't spoil it, but there is uh, an, an analysis to be done here as she mixes timelines and uh, makes us aware of what the past timeline, how it plays into the current one and how much it matters. And I thought all of that was um, because the movie sort of ends at 70 minutes. It looks like it anyway, because it's a big old. Uh, now the 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 evil the evil is gone, <laughs> the witch is yeah. dead. Uh-huh. And then you wonder at one hundred and eight minutes, which is not uh, a long running time for a Korean movie, of course. Uh, what's this last uh, thirty minutes going to be about? And uh, is she going to be able to maintain interest? And that's when I was gripped the most. Fairly, I think, and uh, uh, this is where we really won't spoil it. But I have some questions. Despite that, uh, I think it's all very well executed and uh, and acted. They're very sharp, and the style is controlled as she cuts back and forth between timelines and create this uh, uh, weaves this mystery in in the edit of the movie, of course. And uh, 
you know, horror helps alongside this because the manifestations in this one are more gruesome. And, uh, you know, the findings, uh, not just the hauntings that turn up, but the findings are more gruesome. But it isn't, um, you know, bowing down to the gore hounds and doing something different in the Whispering Corridor series. I think, uh, you know, uh, those were still good directorial instincts and not cheap gore gags. And, uh, and uh, it really still felt to me like these directorial instincts uh, are very uh, very promising because uh, after this confrontation of uh, of note half an hour before the end you know uh, she she had us in a good gruesome grip and we look at yon hee and wonder if uh, this is real to her or if this is uh, going on in her mind and then that movie changes and her arc gets completed and uh, i i started to really feel for you know that uh, depiction of uh, mental health, sanity, or whatever, and uh, this this aftermath story that focused on uh, showing us what uh, her past uh, terror and and real life haunting was about really carried me nicely to the end, and it had horrific sights that weren't about horror, and uh, it, it's the only thing I won't spoil, I suppose. So, well, not the only thing, but I totally don't want to spoil it. But it does connect to uh, to an event in Korea's turbulent um, history, and uh, that's I, I think it's it's something that can divide audience in terms of like, is there room for this? And in one way, Paul, I can say, well, I think it's overpacked. But in one way, I can't, I, I can't, I, I will say no because I was thoroughly, thoroughly affected emotionally by this last half hour because of the answers it gave us and it was still complex at the same time she didn't give us easy answers in a big old exposition dump she used visuals for that you know maybe your first viewing was that like like you're doing one and a half movies here when you were supposed to do one movie and that changed during the second viewing for you but for my first viewing i i felt this was uh just a proper amount of content and uh, I, I was quite taken with it well I, I tend to almost completely agree with you almost at the very start I've got to be really careful here because I will always be happy to talk or almost always happy to talk about you know social commentary uh, reflections on real events it's what makes film critique worthwhile I guess this is one of the few that I won't I can't because of the surprise aspect. Um, and I think that's one a good thing. When I first watched this film, there is a small scene at the very beginning where Yuni is actually driving to the school, talking to her brother on the phone. And there is an element of that scene that knowing how many times I've talked about a certain event in Korean cinema or in, in Korean history uh, in terms of being shown in Korean cinema, I immediately thought, oh, no, you're not you're not going to do that, are you? Um, not, in, not in Whispering Corridors, please. You know, I, re- <laughs> I really did think that. And as the film went through and it turned into what the humming is mostly, I thought, oh, well, oh, good. I'm glad they didn't do that because I don't know if that would have fitted. So first time when it did turn out that she was doing that, it did in a way feel like an addition but on rewatch, the fact that she constantly breadcrumbs you through the fact that there are two stories here, I think works as well as 
I would have liked it to. It could have it could have been smoother, maybe. There's an element here of um, the the real evil that uh, goes in the past uh, encounter that it's a little. Uh, it seems a little bit over the top versus the reality, but uh, I, I can't say if uh, it's that far detached from reality either. But what it leads to, it's it's the more violent Whispering Corridors entry that really makes you wins because uh, by this point it's not supernatural anymore. Indeed. And, you know, it does have to be said when when someone who is not aware of too many Korean historical events watches the end of this film i i i wouldn't be surprised if they go oh come on that's just so unbelievable and over the top but i can tell you here now things like that Mm. really really did happen um and it's why that event is talked about so much um because it was an atrocity and, and they're not doing it to sort of like, well, other filmmakers did it for commercialism, so let's inject the real-life history. And it's, it's, still, uh, it's still felt, it's not fun. And um, it makes you sad. And it, they, they, she ties a knot of the story of the grandmother really beautifully without uh, mm-hmm. being too explicit. Uh, the, the grandmother that appears throughout the movie here and there, and you realize that there's surely some intention here because uh, the beats earlier in the movie as she meets... Eon, he, uh, the, the grandmother of one of the students that run a little um, uh, run a little store that appears every now and again in the movie. It really led to like a very dedicated picture, a very sad one that I wanted to touch more on the reality than the supernatural without abandoning the Whispering Corridors feel, because that, that's very much sufficient. But the scars of real evil is what I took away from this, and it's the one entry, I, again, that I really want to rewatch with truth in hand. Because there, there's some great clues dropped that will enhance the second viewing. And uh, I think uh, our director really proves to have great control of reveals. And controlling the emotional attachment without simplifying too much. Or making it too melodramatic. And if the cinema climate was fair. Her talent should be pushed into future projects like right now. Yeah. Because yeah. she's not one note here. She isn't making it within the confines of the Whispering Corridor series and... She expands, and if they can find, you know, fresh, confident style and execution, go on and make more of these, even involving her. Because this was really encouraging for for a new filmmaker, of course, but for the series. And uh, that that break perhaps allowed for new thoughts and ideas and angles to, you know, simmer and then be- become like a, a very, very useful and valid part of the part of the series. So I was quite, um, qu- quite surprised. And I can't say anything uh uh, about uh, the actor that uh, plays the elder security guard, but for for a very um, non-verbal role, uh, it's cast well because uh, he's put to use throughout the movie, you know, including in that uh, that flashback. Uh, so it was not just uh, random casting, I thought. And uh, you know, an actor, an elder actor, uh, veteran actor, presumably Quan Hei Hyo, in this case, uh, huge actor, character actor. You know, he's one of one of those faces you see all the time, but always seems to not have a starring role. But he's always important. You know, he's been he's been acting since 1992. So, you know, he's he's done a huge number of really, really influential films and he's very recognizable. And, you know, from my point of view, watch watch The Humming for the first time for the story and then go back and rewatch it and figure out the janitor's story. Go on. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe it was not the security guard of the school, but the janitor of him. I apologize, but uh, but yeah, he, he he appears here and there. She she has fun, you know. Uh, in, there, there, there's a scene where uh, you see characters. Uh, she she's filming it from outside, where you see characters running through these uh, glass hallways that you can see from the outside, and uh, there's different levels, there's this different stories, and you can see multiple characters running back and forth. And uh, that's also nice of a breadcrumb of that. Um, I didn't really feel was uh, structurally, structurally the intent of the other entries as such. So she's having fun inviting us back for a second go. I'm certainly uh, itching to um, to do so. The, the missteps that were too over the top, uh, they didn't affect... Uh, we might not have touched upon it, but it's uh, certainly baked into our discussion that uh, a lot of it rests on um, lead actress Kim Seo Hyung. And she's remarkable because this uh, requires this, um, you know, the, the dips into uh, the insanity and uh, and the mental instability needs to be handled right. You can't be too much. You can't be too goofy. You can't be too hysteric either. And uh, she handles some emotional beats, uh, in particular towards the end, that are really affecting. And uh, then obviously. Uh, Obviously, that that's uh, you know, uh, Lee Young uses uh, visuals to cut back to events that might have been real and might not have been real, and that's uh, that realization as she uh, ponders her mental state is greatly handled. And I thought uh, it rests uh, on her shoulders, and she's certainly not uh, phoning anything in here. She um, she uh, she devotes herself to the humming greatly, and that's the reason why I think I walked away with it quite emotionally uh, uh, affected. So. I think it should also be said that she she has a real knack far more than you'd expect someone who's just done loads of TV. She's 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 good enough as an actress to be able to change her persona just by the change in look on her face. There are a lot of times when she's doing something that make her to me made her face look somewhat different and it's just her expression changing, but you know exactly what's going on in her head, even if she isn't quite sure what's going on in her head. Um, I think I think it's quite a powerful performance. It, it could have been like such a small, quick movie. Let's get the Whispering Corridor series out there again. Just do the, do the stuff. This looks um, on from an actor's point of view quite uh, quite draining to do, and uh, so there's obviously some good interplay between. Uh, female director and female lead actress to get this um, new uh, emotional direction of the series uh, right and um, yeah that, that really stuck yeah, stuck with me uh, two two great talents um, behind and uh, in front of the camera obviously uh, Kim Hyun so is uh, not like too adult for her role or anything either she uh, as a newer actress she uh, comes through as the second lead actress here and um, yeah and she holds her position really really quite well she is she is memorable uh, so um i'll uh, conclude my notes uh, right there so um, anything else you want to highlight from the film or summarize i'm pretty much there i think you know i think the humming deserves a lot more than it has been given i think it's deserving of a lot more than it's been given and it deserves to be included as whispering corridor six in fact if i have my way it would actually be Whispering Corridors 5 and we jettison a blood pledge. <laughs> um, but but I, I'm not allowed to say that. So, um, 
this this is a a decent addition that deserves to be part of the series whether a couple of characters are cartoonish or there may be an overstep or a misstep here and there this is a debut director who has produced something that does the the series justice shortly before he died Lee Chun Young the producer of of all the other films was asked you know when the humming was talk was going about the humming being created would this be a return to the Whispering Corridor series and he just went hmm I think there should probably be 10 so we'll maybe see some more but certainly Whispering Corridor 6 is deserving of its place in the lineup think about it for a while and come up with a concept uh, connected to to the school and uh, do it well and uh, with rehashing themes or not from from the past and they, they, they certainly didn't feel the need to like let's have some lesbian characters uh, because, indeed, um, indeed. and so that's encouraging so um take your time i mean maybe not 11 years but do, do take your time wait a few years and uh, maybe we'll have a a a, a maternal presence uh, on the series now with uh, with our director here if she uh, decides to stick around in producing or um, or even directing capacity it, it's not the like the firm rule that it needs to be a new director every time but it's been like this uh, for a while but uh, yeah we'll um, we'll see because massive box office hasn't been its thing it's been fairly successful throughout the years but it uh, the demand wasn't always reusing one type of box office otherwise you're screwed you can't make anymore. It seems like it. It's there. There is an atmosphere, a filmmaking atmosphere that allows a movie like this to be produced. It doesn't look terribly too expensive either. So, indeed, you know, and and again, it's good that you know we're we're continually moving throughout genres into female directors promoting female directors and then doing their own thing as well as you know male director things because. For so long, it was so difficult for female directors. So the more they get to do, and the more critical acclaim they can they can receive, I think the better. And uh, as for availability, um, at the time of recording, it's come and gone in terms of a cinema run in Korea, and it's been reported that it's due for release on Netflix in Korea. And as of this recording, at the end of uh, September, uh, September. 2021-2021 it's only listed and you can get a reminder notification when it does drop so so it's on the Korean Netflix site but uh, seemingly only there because um, uh, I, I used VPN to get there and I turned off my VPN that site wasn't available to me uh, anymore that page wasn't available to me anymore uh, there's no word yet seemingly about it hitting more Netflix regions uh, or uh, if it's getting a DVD, Blu-ray, digital release in Korea or elsewhere. But as uh, Paul uh, reminds us, uh, has reminded us of previously, these things can take a while nowadays to reach the homes, whether local or internationally. But uh, you did mention that it's been sold uh, to a few places here and there at the very least. Yeah, so far it, it's been sold to 12 foreign countries. Countries outside Korea, obviously. Um, it's been sold in Brunei, Cambodia, India, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, and Philippines, Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand, and Vietnam. So a lot of on the edge of Asian content regions. Um, nothing Western as yet, but if it's on coming to Netflix in Korea, I would almost stake a bet that it will sooner rather than later also turn up internationally on netflix i think that's the way it's going to be going because 
you know, if, if 12 foreign countries have bought it and that's all that's bought it so far, that way isn't going to bring it to the West, really. So I would, I would guess it's going to appear on Netflix before before we'll see it anywhere else internationally. Yeah, um, hopefully UK, US or whatever. Uh, I, doubt, I doubt it's going to be a big Netflix pickup. As, uh, well, we'll pick it up and we'll roll it out globally like uh, The Call or Alive. But uh, hopefully it will hit some selected uh, regions and uh, yeah. be, be up there as either Whispering Corridors, The Humming or simply The Humming. Uh, I, I, I think The Six is going to go... Uh, sooner rather than later because uh, that's just going to confuse an international audience who doesn't know that this was a full series and then they assume that well we need to catch up and they don't but then you're kind of screwed then you lose audiences quickly and that's sort of quick thinking so you know just while I think about it just completely forgot earlier on for anybody that knows if you if you actually look at the title of this it is whisper in corridor six but the korean lettering is actually a title called alma mater rather than the humming um and it's simply because it's the story of Yuni's return to her alma mater um so that's the original korean title so just to, to put that out there which makes sense uh when you watch the movie but uh the humming is a, is a good enough sort of vague uh vague uh, title so indeed indeed uh okay, okay we are done for this uh, coverage uh, thank you for uh, following uh, for the kind words along uh, the way from uh, uh, persons in our sort of uh, hong kong uh, cinema podcast uh, sphere taking a chance on the uh, on the korean cinema podcast but also sort of being aware of uh, this series and enjoying our coverage uh, of it so it's been uh, encouraging to hear the uh, feedback and uh, we'll uh, we'll return if there is a whispering corridor seven i guarantee and uh, because uh, i was like uh, we'll we will do three and then we're done because that sounds like work but uh, when you're on three you might as well do four and when you've done four and five here you are. You kind of have to. You kind of have to. And and it was not a chore uh, by any stretch of the imagination because uh, I like it following through on uh, on coverage uh, such as this. So, um, so yeah, uh, for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, including our back catalogue of What's Korean Cinema and the Whispering Corridor series, go to podcastonfire.com. Same uh, shows are obviously available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And uh, check us out on social media on our facebook group on our twitter and it's very 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 neat i found like i i imagine i'm completely incompetent when it comes to social media and how to plug stuff but it seems like um, the interaction and feedback is uh, not only growing but it's completely different depending on the social media platform you're using because uh, really? during some days will get more replies for a Hong Kong cinema-related thing. And some days, when I post uh, either a tease for this, or post the actual show for this, but post a Memento Mori episode, uh, the replies on Twitter are greater and larger. And that's really cool. So uh, apparently I'm doing something, right? Because I'm, 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 I'm the guy. I'm just the one guy, and I don't know anything about uh, social media and how to promote yourself. And I don't do video or any other fancy kind of uh, audiovisual things to uh, lure audiences in. I know fuck all about this. But uh, <laughs> it's working out somewhat, you know. At least we get uh, good replies and nice heartfelt um, feedback about people who listen to the show. So... Uh, so uh, I, I do a variety of writing on Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies on my website, SoGoodReviews.com. Stuff like the Taiwanese Satuichi that you might not know existed. You know, the Satuichi series out of Japan got a few oh. Taiwanese rip-offs. So I did uh, one of those. Um, so oh. uh, it's all good. And I actually finished the 
the Criterion Collection Satoichi box set. Finally, it's 25 movies, so it's uh, quite a bit. <laughs> Uh, when Japan found something that uh, was commercially viable, they cranked those out. Uh, those uh, the Blind Swordsman movies, and uh, I knew of this, but I had not seen it. That uh, they did all, they did a uh, Hong Kong crossover because uh, the twenty second movie is Satoichi meets the One Armed Swordsman, <sighs> meaning that it's uh, the original cast uh, uh, cast the actor Jimmy Wang Yu appears with uh, Shintaro Katsu, and they also did uh, uh, Satoichi meets uh, Jojimbo. So you had Shintaro Katsu and Toshiro Mifune in one movie. Ironically, the most boring Satoichi movie. So, you know, you never know how it's going to work out. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's all cool. Uh, but uh, let me throw over to you for a plug. And uh, certainly, uh, if you want to lead listeners to your site to read the written analysis of this movie, then obviously uh, hint at that and I'll link to it if it's up when this show goes up. Lovely stuff. Um Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Paul. I run HangleCelluloid.com. Pop over, have a little look about it. There's loads of stuff on there. Reviews, essays, interviews with numerous cast and crew. You know, blowing trumpets here and there. Re- re- in- interview with an Oscar-winning actress, for heaven's sake, because uh, you got to a lady in Minori a few years before, uh, before Minori happened. I really did, indeed, yeah. You know, which was quite shocking in hindsight. You know, back in the day, as any of you will have seen, she... Um, She's quite outspoken in a in a funny sort of way. Um, it was quite an interesting um, interview, which actually ended up on a DVD. But that's by the by. <laughs> it's like 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 in parentheses, it ended up on a DVD. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it, it, essentially, um, it was it was a third window, which is a DVD company in the UK, um, and we were doing LKFF interviews and they just sort of said by the way we're filming this and we're gonna put it on boomerang family just so you know and i was like oh 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 okay but it was lovely it was lovely to talk to her etc etc but you know pop over to the site have a look around at the time of recording this podcast my written review and and links to other whispering corridors numbers all in one go will it should be online in the next couple of days i would imagine so by the time you're listening to this it should have been online for a fairly fairly good long time have a little listen have a little read hopefully paul won't uh, revise it and uh, put up like a version 8 of the humming online like uh, when you're done you're done and you leave it leave it behind so indeed indeed apart from the odd spelling mistake that i happen to notice three months down the line you know but that's just by the by well, uh, thank you again, everybody, for uh, following through on this uh, coverage. So this is uh, us done for now, uh, talking of the Whispering Corridor. So uh, this has been our discussion of the humming. And uh, I've been Kenny B, and with me was Paul Cohen of Hangol Celluloid. So say goodbye to the scared kids. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.